Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deja Vu. I'm your host, Rachel Weinberg. And today, Diego Medina and I will be finishing up our Halloween 31 Nights of Fright miniseries. Tonight, we are going to be going through our final movies on our Halloween list, as well as ranking all of the films from our least favorite to our favorite. Of course, we're recording this a couple days before Halloween, so two movies won't be on Diego's ranking, but if you check the description, you'll see where at least the thing falls. Okay, so let's jump right in. So the first movie of the week was Saw, directed by James Wan in 2004. I, I thought it was good. It was much less like gory as I was expecting, but you told me the first one is not as gory as the later movies, which is is nice. That movie's like very dirty though, which kind of kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I, I mean, I guess that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah, I just kind of like I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was. That was like it feels more like a like a mystery than just like a straight like horror porn movie. And so, like, I appreciate all the the little, like, plot twists and uh, just kind of the ways that they took the story. It just felt, like, pretty novel and cool. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really like Saw because I think it, it's very un. I think the same with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I think Saw more so is very unfairly regarded because of the later sequels. Saw, what you said, is a thriller mystery. It's a whodunit, and you're trying to figure out who is Jigsaw and why are these people being captured by him. And you have Danny Glover, who I think is, like, probably the best performance of the movie as the, like, obsessed cop who lost his partner. And then, of course, you have Tobin Bell as Jigsaw, who's a little underused but comes to save the series later. And writer Lee Luanell, who is previously on the show for the Invisible Man episode. He does an interesting job with acting. I think the the worst part about Saw for me are the two performances from the two leads with Carrie Elways and Lee Winnell. But I really like the story and I really like what it sets up. And I think it brings up an interesting concept of, and this isn't a concept I've subscribed to, but are you really a killer if you allow people to die rather than actually kill them and I think it's something especially in the later parts of the series they really harp on but obviously Jigsaw is just pompous and believes that he understands the value of life more than others and is preying on like weak people who have drug addictions and who self-harm and saying they don't appreciate their lives but I think that question that it raises is very interesting. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the the twist at the end is a little um, it's a little out there, but it's definitely not the worst ending we've had so far. So I don't know. I liked Saw a lot more than I was expecting to. So what would you give Saw? I'd give Saw four skulls. Okay, I'd give Saw. Yeah, I think I'd give Saw four skulls as well. It's between three and a half and four skulls. I think this time the editing and like some specific lines of dialogue in the acting kind of hit me a little harder, but it's still a really enjoy enjoyable and interesting watch. So the next day we watched a movie that takes a lot from Saw um, in the Saw series and also takes a lot from Grindhouse Horror and that is Damien Leone's 2016 film called Terrifier. I thought Terrifier was fine. It didn't really, like, it didn't draw me in in any specific way, but it also didn't, like, repulse me either. It just kind of felt like like an, an easy movie to just put on and watch if you want to see, like, people getting killed and scary clown guy doing scary clown things but it it kind of just feels like it's um 
I, I wouldn't call it a slasher because there's not like a ton of splashing, but it just kind of feels derivative that lone killer stalks a bunch of people until they're all died. And so it didn't like amaze me in any way, but I think it's like very competently made and it's just like a pretty decent film all around. I think it feels like kind of amateurish in a way. I can't really put my finger on like why I feel that way, whether it's like the performances or something about like the lighting and the coloring. But that being said, I still think it's like an enjoyable movie. It didn't really like strike many chords for me personally, but I thought it was like, it was fine. I have a weird soft spot for this movie and I don't understand why because everything about it's like not the best. The dialogue's really clunky, the acting is really wooden, some shots are underexposed, some shots are overexposed, but I think it does a good job of repositioning the grindhouse horror model in the 21st century and I think that Art the Clown is a really interesting character. I think he's very sadistic and disgusting and likes to kill because he likes to see people squirm. And I also feel like he has a lot of personality even though he doesn't say a word. And I could very easily see him climbing the ranks of horror villains because I think there is something about him that kind of is alluring in a really disgusting way. So Originally, the reason why this movie was on the list was because, one, I had a soft spot for it, and two, they were supposed to come out with a sequel this October, but because of COVID, they have pushed back the sequel to 2021. But I'm excited for the sequel. I'm excited to see the growth of Damien Leone as a director and David Allen Thornton as continuing his role of Art the Clown, because this would be his third time from Damien Leone's short film to this and now to the sequel. Yeah, I think I would definitely agree with the um, the idea that Art the Clown is uh, like set up to become like a new face in horror, and I think like it doesn't seem like it on the surface, but there's just like a surprising amount of depth to his character. I feel, and I feel like once they sort of explore that a little more, like this scene when um, he's sucking on his thumb when the woman's holding him it's just like okay well I wasn't expecting that and it kind of just like make obviously makes it seem like there's a lot more going on once they sort of like finally nail down like what sets him apart from all the like killers and monsters that predate him I think like he's going to going to last in people's minds for sure yeah I mean that scene with the girl and the saw has stayed in my mind it's really disturbing but I like that he's a showman I like that he puts on a show for his victims and puts on a show for the audience and again I'm excited to see where this franchise goes I know he wants to make it into a trilogy so it'll be interesting what would you give terrifier I'd probably give Terrifier, like, three skulls. Yeah, I agree. I'd say it's a three-skull movie, but I do really like it, and I think it's a fun watch. So the next day, we watched, based on the Clive Barker story, Bernard Rose's 1992 film, a Chicago movie, Candyman. Um, I liked Candyman. I thought it was pretty good. Um... There's just, it's like a very interesting concept, like the the idea of like an urban legend and like it gets its power from being like spoken about and believed. And I just think that's a super cool concept and I wish they would have run with that like they had sort of implied at the end of the movie instead of like just bringing back Candyman for more sequels. But that's kind of neither here nor there, but just like the the idea of the movie is very unique and i think the the execution like raises a lot of uh a lot of interesting like ideas i like enjoyed the way that 
the movie would sort of play with its concept and kind of like take it to like many of like its own logical conclusions, like how there's a a normal guy walking around with like a meat hook pretending he's Candyman trying to like claim the identity of this urban legend and I don't know, it's just like a a very very cool movie. And I think it, like, raises a lot of questions. I also really like Candyman. And this was a movie that I wanted us to cover on the podcast before COVID was going on because it was supposed to have a sequel that also was coming out that Jordan Peele produced, which who directs our next film. But Candyman, I think, is super interesting because it's about so much more than the idea of, like, someone coming to get you if you say their name in the mirror three times it deals with the appropriation of black culture by white academics it also really goes into the idea of the divide of housing and how the public living is so underfunded and how that is so like easily ignored by authorities we could see that with the woman who called the cops multiple times and nobody answered because they thought she was crazy or whenever we have Helen who gets beat up and the cops finally feel like they can arrest the guy who's posing as Candyman versus the other people that they already think he killed but didn't care enough because they were black and they were poor and it also is really interesting because it connects an urban legend with the idea of race and interracial relationships as well as a reconstructionist self and how historically these these stories of power and struggle and oppression continue to feed their way into our consciousness and continue to allow people to grow in power from them and the whole reason Candyman wants Helen not only is it because Helen looks like the woman he died for, but it's because Candyman wants to continue to have power, and it's a power that he didn't have before. So by having this urban legend, by having these people so afraid to say Candyman's name five times, it's continuing a cycle of power that otherwise wouldn't have gone to him. And we can see that in the end of the film, too. So I think Candyman's a really interesting movie. I think that it's going to be very well rebrought up in the sequel which is really about the appropriation of black culture through art and I'm excited for it. I think it has great performances. Tony Todd is like so synonymous with the character and does such an amazing job and I think I'm blanking on the woman who plays Helen but I think she does a great job as well and this does a really good job of being a film that's grounded in portraiture not only because Candyman was an artist but there are so many just beautiful shots of people's faces where they're just having a single tear and the light is very gauzy and beautiful and just illuminates them and Candyman's just a great movie yeah there's just like so many layers to it and I like totally agree like Tony Todd is amazing the the principal actress whose name I also can't remember is pretty great um it's just like such a such a good movie it's like it very much feels to me like a movie that everyone should see what would you give Candyman I would give Candyman like four and a half skulls probably maybe just four not sure I'm a little torn I don't want I don't know if I want it to be as close in score as the next movie. I would give Candyman four skulls, and I think because it's in dialogue with the next movie is probably why, but I think Candyman's a great movie, and if people haven't seen it, they should definitely check it out. But the next movie is made 25 years later, and is Jordan Peele's directorial debut, who's producing and co-wrote the new Candyman, Get Out, which was an Academy Award winning film from 2017. This movie was, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's really, really, really good. It reminds me a lot of like The Exorcist in that it like feels like it's more than a horror movie. Like it just kind of feels like this 
this like I don't want to call it a thriller because I feel like it's so close to horror but it's like this very like personal drama mystery and it, it just like plays with a lot of uh like the tropes and elements of horror and it also does so many new things everybody in the movie is fantastic like every every actor is like so um so like unique from one another like i i can remember like every character in this movie i can't say that for like any other movie we've seen and there's just like so much to think about um like i don't even know how to how to like put it into words like it's just like it it transcends <laughs> it transcends not critique but um it almost transcends explanation in a way. I feel like it just needs to something that needs to be seen to be like fully understood. And yeah, this movie is just pure genius. And I think for a directorial debut, it's just unbelievable what Jordan Peele was able to achieve through like the way he wrote this film that it is so memorable, but also the fact that it's bringing up really interesting and very serious issues and it's not handing them to you in a way where it's supposed to make you feel stupid or show you how important social horror is and I think really good social horror like this movie is able to present these issues similar to how Candyman does in a way where you're just along for the ride but then at the end you do have a lot of reflection but this movie is just really great it does a great job of like it's nothing but layers. Every single image, every single object means something so much more than just being in the frame. And it also is a really, really timely film about white liberals who claim that they're down for, you know, the liberation of black people and like ending these oppressive systems, but at the end of the day will do nothing but continue to profit from them. So it's a really like it's hard to talk about because you don't want to spoil anything but it's a great film filled with great performances through great writing and it also has some really great comedic moments through Lil Rel Halry but for me this <laughs> is a five skull movie yeah I agree I was I was also gonna say five skulls so the next day we watched another movie that I really love it's Brian De Palma's 1976, Carrie. I didn't like Carrie that much. Kind of just like, I almost wish it was like earlier in the list because it almost feels like super tame in comparison to a lot of these movies. So like if you're looking for horror and not so much looking for the many, many messages that this movie holds, which I think are like, very well done i i think it's like a very good movie on its own merits i just didn't really care for it that much by myself sissy spacek yeah she's really good as carrie the mom she is like the craziest part of this movie and she's like excellent like her monologue about uh like having or her monologue about carrie's father at the towards the end uh, it's like just it feels very like genuine and real, but I think it kind of meanders a little bit, but I also feel like a lot of, if not all of the scenes are like very important. So like, it just kind of like falls onto a matter of opinion for me here. Like I didn't personally have that much fun watching it, but I think it's still like a really good movie. I don't think, Carrie is a fun movie. I think Carrie is a very, it's a sad movie, I'll say. I think that I really like Carrie. I think Carrie isn't as tame as it seems, but maybe that's because I'm looking at it through more of the idea of isolation socially and being pushed into a religion that you don't really want to be a part of and what that does to the psyche more than the actual scenes themselves but Piper Laurie who plays Carrie's mom is you're right unbelievable and Sissy Spacek also unbelievable all of the performances here are pretty good 
but I just think this movie is very masterfully made from its two and a half minute long non-stop figure eight take to just how fast the two are spinning to all of these really beautifully composed diopter shots. I really really love Carrie and I love the production design inside the house. I love the Last Supper hanging on the wall near their dinner table. I love all the candles. I love the what happens to Carrie's mom and what happens to Carrie I just think is very tragic and it's just an amazing amazing film for me. She's definitely burning in hell though. I feel bad for Carrie though. Carrie's a tragic <laughs> character which is part of the reason as to why it's such a good movie is because Carrie is killing so many people but she is I think 71 people and she's still so so tragic and sad and you feel for her and you want good things to happen to her but just over and over and over again they don't but yeah Carrie's a near like near perfect movie for me it's about a four and a half star movie I, I really really enjoy it I would give it like three skulls but I don't think that like it deserves three skulls that was just like the level of enjoyment or engagement I got out of watching it on a first first viewing the next day we watched Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer which was directed by John McNaughton in 1986 even though the film wouldn't be released until 1990 what were your thoughts on Henry Oh, I thought this movie was really, really good. I think it just had, like, a really solid performance from pretty much everybody, but especially Michael Rooker. Like, he's so subdued, but I feel like there's also just, like, he does so much acting with, like, little, tiny, like, facial movements and just kind of the way he, like, stands around in a scene, just, like... He really fully inhabits this Henry character, and I think it's like, it's a it's a joy to see him, like so invested in the role. That being said, it is a bit um, bit a bit of a downer. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of people die for no reason, but it's just like a very very interesting movie because I feel like it kind of gets into the mind of these like these killers a lot more than any of these other movies have and it's so weird or not weird but it's a lot scarier because they just seem like regular folk on the outside but can just switch at the flip of a coin i think it's really good i thought the ending was <laughs> it sucks it sucks, like, emotionally, but it's also just, like, a really good ending. But, yeah, I, I like this movie a lot. I, so I just watched this movie for the first time this summer because of Shudder, and I wasn't expecting to like it from the description, but I, after I watched it, I was really terrified. <laughs> and I remember texting you and I was like, hey, I'm going to add this movie to Spooktober. I don't really know if it's going to fit in, but it's just so good we should watch it. And this is just a bleak, bleak movie. It's so sadistic and so vile, but it's juxtaposed because it's so beautifully made. It's a movie that really, like, disturbs me in a similar fashion to the way that Texas Chainsaw Massacre disturbs me because it's so just unnervingly depressing and so just sadistic. But it's really beautifully shot. The opening shots with all of the dead bodies, something really interesting that they do in this movie is that they're showing you these dead bodies, but they're not showing you how they died. And instead you get this really eerie sound of them begging for their lives. And it's something where it's trying not to show you so much, but it's giving you enough in a different, more visceral way that you aren't expecting. And I, I feel for Henry for most of the movie, too. And I, I want him to redeem himself. And then there, there's a point with a video camera and what they do. And it's not only the fact that they're, they're 
killing people, but it's the fact that we're watching their TV play it. They're watching their work. Because to them, they're artists, you know what I mean? And it's just this really, really terrifying thing because it's it's based in reality. I mean, Henry, Henry Lee Lucas was a real serial killer who was convicted of killing 11 people, including his mama, and really is believed to kill 40 people, but has claimed over 100 murders. And it deals with incest, it deals with sexual assault, it deals with just really disgusting murders. And then the ending, which you already said, looking at what we were looking at for so long off the side of that road, just it's really unnerving because you realize in that moment that this isn't a character that can be redeemed. This is someone who the only way that they can get anything out is through just depravity. And no matter what he says or what he does, it's always going to be about that thrill of killing. Yeah, he won't ever, ever stop. And it's just, it's really, really... It's it's a movie that I think, sadly, was kind of buried over its controversy because it, in some manner does make you kind of feel for a real life serial killer and again it took four years for this movie to release but it deserves a lot more attention than it gets for connecting horror and true crime and just a very unnerving depiction of a real life serial killer i would say that this one isn't for the faint of heart i feel like it was much easier to ingest off of uh coming off the back of like 26 other horror movies but just like if going into this one like just diving in head first like you may not be happy coming back out the other side but it's definitely like an experience and a very like well-made movie I was just saying yeah this was something that I again like I didn't know what I was getting into when I watched it I didn't know what I was getting into when I watched it for the first time, and I was just thinking about it all night, just thinking about what I saw. And there's there's not a lot of movies that do that to me. But I, I would give this... I think that there are a couple bits of dialogue that probably aren't like the, the most well-written, but I also think we're dealing with people who are of low intelligence and who are just disgusting. So I would give this movie probably four and a half star, skulls. Four and a half skulls. Yeah, I would agree. The next day, we watched one of three films of all time to win the big five. Director, writer, picture, actor, and actress. And that is Jonathan Demme's 1991 film, The Silence of the Lambs. This is a movie that you saw before. Yeah, I'd seen it before, so going in, I just... um wasn't really expecting to like get much new out of it and it had been a while since I've seen it it had been like at least like three or four years since I'd last seen it but I still think that it um is very entertaining still holds up like in my mind I still feel the same way about it that I did when I watched it for the first time when I was like much younger and I I think it's a bit long personally, but it's a it's a lot to think about. It's a movie that I think is perfect so easily, like just so effortlessly from the directing to the writing to the lead performances from Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. But I think especially watching it again, and this was the second time I've watched it since quarantine I think I can't help but think about the the issue that arises from it which is the way that it paints trans people and this is different than sleepaway camp in that sleepaway camp is exploitative it's meant to kind of paint these people as monsters but what we could see from Silence of the Lambs is Clary Starling says that there's no connection between transgender people and in violence but yet they continue to paint buffalo bill as a killer because of his queerness because the fact that he is trans and it also 
really kind of negates the idea that he is trans because they keep on saying it's because of these mental issues or it's because of him having issues with violence and that's one of the reasons why he's making these skin suits but I think that the technicals on this movie are just so flawless that it's okay for us to have that conversation when we watch it and I think Hannibal Lecter is just such a fantastic character within the horror genre and that's so much due to Anthony Hopkins I mean Silence Lambs 2, Hannibal 2, I'm forgetting the name, is really bad, but Anthony Hopkins is great feeding Ray Liotta his own brain, and I think that he is so different than any other character that we've seen in Spooktober because he is highly educated, extremely intelligent, extremely posh, he's eating fava beans with a nice Chianti, he's not like Henry who's sitting on the couch with his $50 TV and, you know, watching terrible acts. But yet he's so vindictive and he's so conniving. And I think he has a really great foil in Clarice Starling who is trying so hard to be posh and trying so hard to be educated and trying so hard to be the best. He says all she wants is advancement, but from com- but comes from a super tragic and humble beginning. And Jodie Foster is so capable as Clarice, and Clarice is such a capable character, which I think we'll see with this film and the next film. And she does a really great job of standing on her own, but in the third act, when you do see that vulnerability, it makes you feel for her. And I I, I just think it's a really great movie, but it's something that we definitely need to think about in the way that it paints trans people and I know that that's been a discussion that more recently has been had but also whenever it was up for the Oscars and whenever it was in awards season it was a conversation that queer critics and organizations were bringing up and I know Jonathan Demme has apologized for it in recent years. I agree a lot with the idea that um that Hannibal Lecter is, like, just such a a compelling and unique character. Like, I feel like the closest thing we've had to a Hannibal Lecter-like character in Spooktober is probably Herbert West in Reanimator. But even then, they're still, like, extremely different. And just, like, how they act and the way in which they interact with people. But there's just, like, something about... uh, and it's it's totally due to Anthony Hopkins' performance, but he just like draws you in. Like you wanna you wanna see more of him. You wanna talk to him, even though it's probably very dangerous. Like it's it's really really a movie that definitely like rewards you for watching it. I feel so. I would give Silence of the Lambs five skulls. Yeah, Five Skulls. Very, very good movie. And then the final film that we just watched was Ridley Scott's sci-fi horror film, Alien, which was released in 1979. Yeah, this is a a very, very cool movie. Honestly, wasn't expecting to get as many Star Wars vibes as I did from this movie, but it just felt like... Something about it felt oddly familiar to me. Like, I've never seen Alien before, but just kind of, like, the things that happened and even the stuff that I, like, wasn't aware about still felt like, I don't know, familiar is, like, the only word I can think of to put my finger on it. But this, there's just, like, so many cool things just, like, on on the periphery of this movie. And, like, what I mean by that is, like, the costume design and the the sets, the prod design, the alien itself, the inside of the Promethean ship, the Promethean itself. Like, visually, this movie is, like, an absolute marvel. It's probably, like, in terms of visuals, my favorite so far, but that's because it kind of plays to things that I like. I don't know. I think Ripley is a very cool character. She's like the only one who knows what's going on on the ship. Like 
how to follow protocol and like just kind of do things that you'd expect trained astronauts to do. That was very nice because it felt like believable that she was like just doing all these things while everyone else is kind of just like panicking. I didn't think it really scared me that much, but I know it got you a couple times. Like it doesn't scare me just seeing it in a movie. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I liked it a lot, especially the first half, which Rachel didn't see. I saw it. It was just really laggy because we had to watch it over Zoom. I love Alien. For a while, Alien was in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Like, I I think that Ripley is one of the most well-written characters of all time of any horror movie, of any sci-fi movie. Like, Ripley is the most capable and intelligent and empathetic character that we will see. And I love the production design. It does kind of call back to Star Wars, which I think came out like two years earlier, right? 77 Star Wars was. But I yeah. think... I think that every I don't know if you're you're probably gonna disagree with me, but everything that this does that's similar to Star Wars, it does leaps and bounds better. I would agree with that mostly just because this movie is more adult than Star Wars. That's true. It is, but this movie is also really scary, and it did get me a couple times, but. I think the reason why it's so scary, besides the amazing quality of the Xenomorph costume and how wet and nasty it is, but also how beautiful it is, as Diego would say, grotesque, but it is such a good slow burn. You're not having anything really happen for the first hour, and then literally an hour into this movie, so halfway through its runtime, you get that iconic chestburster scene. And then from there, it just picks up and it just doesn't stop. And it's just so good. And I love this movie so much. And I wish that I would have said that I couldn't see it well from the beginning because that makes me sad. But I really, really, really love this movie. And it's it's just so... It's, it's, there's, it's, a, perfect, it's a perfect movie. It's Ridley Scott's best movie. But Aliens is good too. It's, I don't like it as much as I like Alien. Don't watch any other Alien movies. Don't watch Alien Covenant. Don't watch Prometheus because it will never live up to what Alien is. Alien's a perfect movie. Alien's a five-skull movie. Alien's one of the best movies of all time. I can't even talk about it coherently because it's that good. It really is, though. So, yeah, I'd, I guess I would also give it five skulls. Just, like, like that's capital C, cool movie. The final two movies we are watching for Halloween are John Carpenter's The Thing, which was released in 1982. So Diego hasn't yet seen The Thing, but I just wanted to give a brief little review. The Thing is probably the most exemplary piece of body horror that we could see. David Cronenberg's The Fly is a close second, but The Thing is just beautifully constructed with makeup effects from Rob Bottin. It brings up paranoia and tension in a really interesting way. And unlike most of the other films, with the exception of Alien, truly shows isolation. To me, The Thing is another perfect movie. And it's an amazing follow-up to Halloween. Especially since The Thing was referenced in the movie. I'd give The Thing five skulls. Our final movie, the movie that we're watching on Halloween, is of course John Carpenter's 1978 film Halloween. It wouldn't have been a Halloween year without watching this one. This is my all-time favorite movie. It's a movie that I've seen so many times I've lost count, and it's a movie that always speaks to me. That's probably because Deborah Hill's amazing writing. These characters, while flimsy, seem pretty well fleshed out. They're all individuals, and you remember them all because of their character traits. Additionally, she writes Laurie Strode beautifully. Laurie is vulnerable, yet really strong, and continues to persevere. She created the blueprint for what a final girl is. And without Laurie Strode, we probably wouldn't have a Nancy Thompson, or our Sydney Prescott, or any of the final Friday the 13th girls. Laurie Strode is 
one of the most quintessential figures in horror history, which says a lot because she goes up against Michael Myers, who is probably the most quintessential slasher killer in horror history. Of course, Michael's in the big three with Jason and Freddy, but there's something about him that's more unnerving than the others. Diego even said this whenever we were talking about Halloween a couple nights ago. We were talking about the slasher killers, and he said that Michael's still the scariest, without even seeing the movie, because he knows that he's pure evil. That staying power for it to be a cultural reset of what horror should be, making it one of the most profitable horror movies, and even 40 years later having a very profitable follow-up where Jamie Lee Curtis had the greatest opening weekend of a, of a film led by a woman over 60 is unbelievable. Halloween is beautifully shot. It has these wide shots in the beginning where you're constantly wondering where Michael Myers is. And then it moves to these really tight shots where all you want to do is see the shape. And that's just showing the masterful suspense that Carpenter brings to film. This film was shot in 22 days with a budget of $300,000, which in 1978 is definitely more than it is in 2020, but is still tiny and is still shot so quickly because it was made cheaply. And from that opening tracking shot, which has these masterful hidden cuts, you know that you're in a movie that's taking itself seriously. It's not like a Friday the 13th or a Nightmare on Elm Street. It's truly scary. But more than anything, it teaches people about overcoming their past trauma. Fighting past the pain. And becoming a victor. Halloween's a movie that for so many people who really love it, it means more to them than just a horror movie. It's a film that is about that transfer of power, reclaiming yourself. And I'm really proud to say that's what this film is for me. Halloween will always be my favorite movie. And I'm really grateful to not only John Carpenter for directing this movie into life, but for Deborah Hill who produced the film and wrote it. Because without that woman's touch, Halloween wouldn't be what it is today. And that's why it's the quintessential horror movie. Okay, let's get into these rankings. So how this is going to work is that since I've seen all 31 movies, but Diego has only seen 29 of the movies, I'm going to do my 31 and my 30. And then once we hit 29, Diego will go first and I'll go second. Because we've already done reviews on all of these movies, we're not going to say why we're ranking them where we're ranking them. We're just going to rank them, which is going to be kind of hard, I feel. <laughs> because I'm going to want to know why you're ranking things where that you are, and I know you're going to want to know why I'm not ranking things. But... We're going to go through it from 31 to 1, and then we'll find out our favorite movie of Spooktober. So, my 31 spot, and I guess I am going to break the rules right now, is I think that there are better movies, I think this is a better movie than other movies on this list, but all of these other movies I have a personal connection to, so that's why I'm ranking it where I'm ranking it. But 31 for me is Hawkson. And then 30 for me is Sleepaway Camp. So, Diego, what is your 29? Carrie. Okay. My 29 is Friday the 13th. What's your 28? Hawks on. 28 is Terrifier. 27. 27 is Terrifier. 27, Society. 26. Polter Poltergeist. <laughs> he knows how to pronounce Poltergeist. That's an inside thing. 26 is Saw. 25. Sleepaway Camp. 25, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. 24. The Omen. 24 is Gremlins. 23. <laughs> Friday the 13th, the original. 
23, The Omen. 22. Gremlins. 22, Suspiria. 21. 21, Suspiria. 21, Poltergeist. 20. Silence of the Lambs. That's only because I've seen it before. 20, Reanimator. 19. Society. 19, Evil Dead 2. Wow, we're going to have very different lists. I know. I know. Okay, 18. Saw. 18, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. 17. Scream. 17, House. 16. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. 16, Candyman. 15. Friday the 13th, part 4. 15. I can't believe that you're ranking this movie higher than I'm ranking this movie. 15 <laughs> is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. <laughs> I can't believe you ranked it higher than me. Just don't like that movie i don't know i love that movie it's just there's so many good movies okay 14 phantasm we're in a very different list 14 is carrie 13 lucky number 13 is the exorcist 13 is child's play 12 Candyman. 12 is nightmare on elm street 11. I, I genuinely feel like this movie should have made the top 10, but unfortunately it didn't, and that is Get Out. I feel the same way about my number 11, and it's Hellraiser. Okay, so these top 10, like, for me, the top 5 is kind of like, would stay in the top 5, but like, all of these top 10s are just so good, and it was really hard for me to rank. I just want to say that. So, what was your number 10? Halloween 3. Halloween 3 made your top 10? My number 10 is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Number 9. My number 9 is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I almost put it at number 9. Wow, we could have had a match. Okay, my number 9 is Silence of the Lambs. Number 8. My number 8 is Reanimator. Okay. My number eight is Get Out. Number seven. My number seven is House. Oh, wow. Oh my god. You liked House. I didn't ruin it. <laughs> no, I liked it. I was just like underwhelmed on the first viewing because it was really hyped up. Well, we're going to watch it again then. Okay. So, what number are we on? Seven? <laughs> Mm -hmm. My number seven's The Thing, and that was super hard because I love that movie. Number six. My number six was Child's Play. Okay, Chicago, Chicago, I see it. Number six is Scream. Number five. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. My number five is Alien. Number four. Hellraiser. Number four, The Exorcist. Number three. Alien. Number three is Phantasm. Yeah, you really love Phantasm. I really love Phantasm. It's it was almost my number 13, but The Exorcist had to beat it out because it's The Exorcist. Yeah, I like kind of felt like a fake horror fan for putting Phantasm above The Exorcist, Alien, Scream, and The Thing. <laughs> but I was like, screw it. I love Phantasm. Okay, number... Two. Evil Dead 2. My number two is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, my, my number one is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And my number one is Halloween. Yeah, it doesn't count though because I haven't seen it. No, it has to count. It's my favorite. <laughs> doesn't fully count. Well, okay, but just so you know, you're going to have to make another list after you're, you're... The thing in Halloween. Your list is... I can't change it, but I can't fully subscribe to 
a list I, uh, with movies I haven't seen on it. Well, in tomorrow and the next day you'll watch your John Carpenter movies and then you'll open your eyes to the wonder that is Halloween and then you'll say, oh my gosh, Rachel, I think I might like this more than Halloween. Three season The Witch, I'm going to say, Diego, I know it's hard because they're both so great and now that's in your top ten horror movie thing, but it's probably going to be your number one. So, no, I don't think it's going to be your number one, but I can work with it not being your number one because Halloween 3 is your number 10. But I could probably see it like squeezed into number 6. Probably. It's really good. I I really I don't I'm I'm, I'm going to be honest though. I most certainly have overhyped it. Cuz it's like my favorite movie. Maybe, but I feel like my top 5 are locked and like can't be changed. Yeah. Your top 5, you have a really good list, Diego. I'm not just saying that cuz I Halloween 3. <laughs> Okay, so I guess just, like, to close, to close this wonderful month that we had where you fell in love with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, <laughs> you kind of came into this month not really, like, being fluent in horror, and now you've left seeing most of the creme de la creme horror movies. You've seen the big franchises, you've seen the art house ones, you've seen international horror, you've seen some hidden gems and some kind of forgotten movies intentionally. How do you feel about going through this process and has it made you a horror lover or a horror appreciator? I mean, I guess I was always a horror appreciator in my heart, apparently, because these movies didn't really scare me. But, um... That being said, I, I had like a ball watching most of them and I, I don't know, I feel like my appreciation for the genre itself is more uh, concrete than it was before because I'd never really like sat down and watched many horror movies in my life because I thought they would be scarier. Wow, I, like, I, I think I found out a lot of new things about me too in this because I mean I've obvi- I obviously picked these movies because I cared about them. But I think sitting down and watching them together and watching them with you as like someone who hasn't seen 29 out of 31 is that I really love The Exorcist and I I didn't think, I never was like a huge Exorcist head. I always was like, The Exorcist is fine, but rewatching it this time really made me appreciate it. And it also like made me really think about why I care about some of these movies and and it also lowered my standards on some of these movies so I'm, I'm really glad that we did this mainly because I got to force you to watch a bunch of movies I like but also because it did teach me things and I got to hang out with you so that's that's my, that's yeah. my end <laughs> thanks for watching another episode of Deja Vu and finishing out this Halloween miniseries with us if you want to listen to any of the Ithacan podcasts, you can get them wherever you get your podcasts or at theithacan.org. Thank you all so much for listening once again, and be kind to one another.